I'm Erin Holt, and this is the Functional Nutrition Podcast, where we lean into intuitive functional medicine. We look at how diet, our environment, our emotions, and our beliefs all affect our physical health. This podcast is your full-bodied, well-rounded resource. I've got over a decade of clinical experience, and because of that, I've got a major bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model. They're both failing so many of us. But functional medicine isn't the panacea that it's made out to be either. We've got some work to do, and that's why creating a new model is my life's work. I believe in the ripple effect, so I founded the Functional Nutrition Academy, a school and mentorship for practitioners who want to do the same. This show is for you if you're looking for new ways of thinking about your health and you're ready to be an active participant in your own healing. You'll get things here that you won't get other places. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. I would love for you to follow the show, rate, review, and share because you never know whose life you might change. And of course, keep coming back for more. Now give me the mic so I can take it away. Hello, my friends. You're in for a treat today. At least I think so. I enjoyed this conversation probably more so than, I don't know, any other conversation that I had this year. And that's saying a lot. I've got my friend, Dr. Jade Tita on the show, and he's just the best, if you ask me. We are talking about metabolism, weight training, uh, weight loss, especially in women, because that's really his wheelhouse. Dr. Jade is an integrative physician and personal trainer with over 25 years of experience. The majority of his clients are actually women. So as a result, he's become an expert in the unique attributes of the female metabolism and its hormonal strengths and challenges. That's kind of the name of the game of today's show. We're going to get into some hormone stuff too. To date, Jade has worked in person with over 10,000 people. I don't I don't know how to tell you like what a big deal that is. He has a tremendous amount of experience. And so he helps people achieve weight loss and health goals. Um, he's also helped hundreds of thousands with his at-home uh, at programs that he's created. So this guy has a lot of experience. And these are the people that I seek out to learn from. These are, whenever, whenever everyone asks me, like, who do you learn from? And uh, who do you, like, how do I know who to trust? It's this, it's, it's the experience. I want to learn from the people that have been doing this longer than me and have worked with a lot more people than me. And Jade really fits that bill. He's also just an extraordinary extraordinarily kind and compassionate human. Um, and I think that will come out as you listen to him talk. I just, I enjoy speaking to him so, so much. And I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. When we recorded this a couple of months ago, um, and at the time he was going through something really big and challenging and stressful. So that's the very beginning of the the podcast is is kind of centered around that because this is a whole human show. And yes, I brought him onto the show so we could all learn from him, but he's also a human being having a human experience. And so I didn't really want to edit any of, of that out. I just really honor and respect and adore the way that he thinks and the way that he speaks. Sometimes I'm like, are you like the male version of me? I just, I think we think about things so similarly and you will see that um, as you listen to this. Now, interestingly, we totally didn't plan this, but I was on his podcast. Our interviews were like a month or two months apart. 
But he just released uh, the conversation that we had over on his podcast just last week. So if you enjoy today and you want to keep learning, uh, hearing from us and, and learning more, head over to his podcast, Next Level Human. Anyway, he's an awesome guy with so much knowledge and wisdom to share. And I'm just super glad that he decided to sit down and share some of it with us. All right. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be able to chat with you today. Aaron, it's so good to be here. How are you? I can't wait for this conversation. Yeah, I'm good. I've been I've been looking forward to this. I, I want to start off. All right. So we we had a private chat before we started recording. So I was gonna start off with this question. Um of what's it like to be Jade lately? So you can go as honest <laughs> as you want with that. Yeah, well, I was telling Aaron, it's funny. It's been it's been great to be Jade for the last decade. I've just been really crushing in business. But in the last few months, my business has literally deteriorated, my number one business. And so I was uh, telling Aaron, for all you listeners, before we got on, that I'm in a very, very stressful time right now in my life. Uh, probably the most stressful I have been since... Uh, my affair and my divorce from my wife, which was uh, just crazy, you know, sort of stressful. But what's really neat is since, uh, you know, since uh, the self-development work that I've done over the last 20 plus years, the tools do work. So I'm surprisingly good given everything that's uh, going on. And um, yeah, you know, life has this thing that it, it, it uh, Aaron and I were talking about before we came on live. It has it has a way of pushing you where you need to go. Uh, however, I wasn't quite ready, but it decided to say, you know what, I'm going to shove you in the back and you're going off this cliff and you'll figure it out. And so that's kind of where I am. So actually, uh, struggles like this are really interesting because I, I, on the one hand, I'm very scared. You know, uh, it can be scary when uh, a lot of your major income dries up real quick, but I'm also really excited to build some things that I've been are really wanting to build. And so life is giving me that space and that a little bit of a, you know, action, alarm action to be like, let's go time to do, get it done. So yeah, that's where I am right now. But I mean, honestly, as in, as a whole, it's funny, Aaron, I was thinking about this. I, I really do just love my life. I've been incredibly blessed to be able to do what I do, um, to be a teacher, to have anyone even care uh, about what I say. It's just so bizarre, you know, that to even get invited on a show like this, you know, and, and that people, want to hear what I have to say. I've always found that a little, a little bit strange. And so uh, I'm just, I, I really just try to stay grateful. I've been incredibly uh, lucky. And yeah, so I mean, I, I, I try to maintain that, uh, you know, sort of that mindset. Do you feel that leading up to this implosion, as you, as you uh, mentioned, do you feel like there was intuitive nudges you were getting? Like you were getting internal guidance and you just weren't listening to it? hundred, hundred percent. Uh, no question about it. And it just seems to work that way, right? Life has this way of whispering in your ear and then tapping you on the shoulder and then kind of, you know, pushing you in the back and then kicking you in the stomach and punching you in the balls. And then you're basically like, okay, I'm listening now. And so we're, we're at that kick me in the stomach phase. Um, and I really have been uh, wishing and wanting for the time and space to do some other things. Uh, and now I have the opportunity to do that. And luckily for me, um, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, that's kind of what I've been doing for a while. So I do have other businesses. It's just a it's just a big difference between how much it's a light. It's a huge lifestyle change. Let's let's just put it that way. So I probably would have about six months to a year to kind of get back to where I am. But yeah, life is basically saying, Jade, I want you to go in a different direction. At least that's how I've seen it. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting, Aaron, and for the listener, I mean, I don't know what uh, your belief system is. We all have different belief systems. I, I am relatively agnostic, you know, so I don't have necessarily 
I'm not atheist. I believe there's something out there, but I'm not necessarily religious either. But the more I interact with uh, life and get these kind of lessons, the more I think perhaps there's something much bigger going on. And so I've learned to just listen and in a very Taoist way, you know, just follow the flow and see where it takes me. And it usually turns into either someplace, you know, more beneficial than what I thought or a lesson that I never could have gotten otherwise. And all my biggest lessons have come from struggle. So this time around, I really am looking at it that way. And I'm, I'm proud of myself, so to speak, uh, to be able to be like, okay, like I'm actually, while I'm in the process, normally it takes years looking backwards, right? And you're just like, oh, you know, I get the lesson now. But while I'm in this process, I'm actually seeing the lessons and listening. So yeah, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm excited and um, to be to be uh, completely vulnerable, uh, very uh, afraid as well. Uh, and both of those things uh, seem to be playing in my psyche right now. You've got, I uh, would imagine, a very big tool of resources. During this acute stress period right now, what are you leaning on in terms of resources and tools? Yeah, well, you know, it's really interesting. Um, social media has been a really, uh, you know, I think for all of us, we kind of see it. I don't know how you see it, Aaron, but you and I are both very active. I follow you. You, We teach a lot, both of us on that platform. Um, you know, that has, I think that's a blessing. You know, in general, I haven't always been excited about social media. It's kind of something I feel like I have to do, but now I'm grateful that I have a following there. But as a business person and anyone listening to this who's a business person, like to me, I still think your email list is still your number one, uh, you know, sort of uh, place to be. And so for me, leaning on that email list is just really nice. The, the ability to be able to make, you know, uh, tens of thousands of dollars with a few emails uh, when you're having difficulty is really, uh, really nice. So that is really what I'm leaning on heavily, my email list and, and my following, you know. So this is funny because tell me you're an entrepreneur without telling me you're an entrepreneur because I always, I meant like, what are you doing for your stress? Like you taking some adaptogens, you're oh. doing some mushrooms, you're doing some sauna. <laughs> I love it, Aaron. You're like, Jane, you just went completely <laughs> off on a tangent. We know where your mind is. No, actually. So you know what I do? Um, I'm, so I'm huge on this, and this can get us into sort of a discussion about metabolism. From my perspective, it is all about stress management, right? So whether we're feeling psychologically stressed or whether we just have metabolic tension because we're doing too much. And my go-to uh, in my house, uh, one of the first things I built was a sauna and cold plunge. Uh, and I've been doing sauna and cold plunge. It's now all the rage, which is really cool to see. But you know what? I went to medical school, naturopathic medical school back in the late 90s. And that's when I first got introduced to uh, cold plunge and sauna. And it pretty much had a cold, some form of cold plunge or sauna in my house uh, since, you know, uh, mid, you know, so the early 2000s. And so that's primarily what I do almost daily, uh, working out and uh, meditation. And actually, funnily enough, one of the things that's happened to me over the last couple of years that I do think has been incredibly beneficial is um, I've been the least active I've ever been in the last two years in terms of hardcore weightlifting and stuff like that. But every morning, I would say about 90% of the time, I wake up, I do uh, a yoga flow, a yoga flow that, believe it or not, came to me at, with an LSD ceremony that I did that just basically, I just started doing this yoga Tai Chi flow and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, meditation. So I do that every single morning. That sort of sets the tone. And I do sauna uh, contrast hydrotherapy pretty much every night before I go to bed. And I will tell you one thing that uh, might be new to the uh, to your listeners and, and maybe even new to you, but I discovered a product called Kana 
uh, which is what I would call a psychoactive adaptogen. Not psychedelic, but psychoactive. It's used by the, the Koi Koi and San in South Africa. It's been around for a while, but I started using that. It's one of the most uh, powerful products I've seen. So it's my new favorite adaptogen. And so I've been really using uh, Kana as my major sort of stress uh, reducer. And so for those of you who haven't heard about Kana, it's kind of it's a psychoactive, meaning that um, it sort of is like a nootropic, but you feel the effects of it. It kind of lifts your mood and helps you think sort of more laterally, which is really nice when you're going through a stressful time uh, like this. Not, it doesn't get you psychedelic, though, so you're not seeing you know, all these things. And it's adaptogenic in that it does a reduced glucocorticoid, so it can actually controls cortisol. It's one of these things that accesses SSRI, so serotonin reuptake inhibitor, and also causes you to release more serotonin, as well as release more dopamine and release more GABA. And so you're getting this very powerful brain effect with this particular product, and um, but some of this uh, lowered cortisol effect. And so that would be my one, two, three, meditation, uh, yoga. I, I, I am a hardcore weightlifter, so I do a lot of that. And then a con on contrast hydrotherapy. So as you can see, I take this seriously, this particular question, I do a lot like daily for me at 50 years old now, wasn't, didn't used to be this way, but I feel the aches and pains and I have to take a lot of rest and recovery. And, and if I don't, uh, my metabolism will, uh, you know, will let me know that things aren't going well. And to me, that is the first question. Anytime we talk about metabolism, anytime we talk about health, to me, it's, it's stress management. It's unfortunate that we, that the term stress has become so cliche and normalized because I don't even think we really understand uh, what stress is anymore because it's so commonplace. We almost need a, a different term for it, but it doesn't surprise me because I'm a, I follow you and you're right on top of this, like you and I both, that stress is the number one thing. And, and I don't mean just the psychological stress I'm under right now. I mean, just the physiological stress. Oftentimes we're super stressed out. We don't even know it, but our metabolism is suffering the consequences. So can you, sp is Kana K-A-N-A? Kana is K-A-N-N-A, yes. Okay. And it's Galitium tortuosum for those of you who are uh, herbalists. So, um, and the way I think about it, tortuosum sounds like torture. <laughs> you know, so like yeah. Kana helps with, you know, sort of mental, emotional torture. And it was used by the San and Koi Koi. You know, those tribes, uh, there was a popular documentary done way back when, uh, why the gods are crazy or something like that, that I think featured the San and they live in a very dry, uh, desert and they use Kana, uh, the whole herb, they chew it, uh, and it gives them stamina. It's really good for hedonic cravings. Actually, um, we're starting to see, or I'm starting to see in my clinic use and they would chew it for stamina and stress reduction when they were on these long periods out in, uh, the desert. And they also use it, believe it or not, in very high doses in a ceremonial setting, <clears throat> almost like you would use, you know, a psychedelic, uh, you know, sort of substance. So they use it both daily as sort of this uh, adaptogen. And also it's a very important part of, <clears throat> of their tribe. So it's a really fascinating, fascinating herb. Um, I can't believe you're 50. <clears throat> you look really good. Oh, thank you. That's very All sweet. that stress management work is really paying off. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, um, my mom looks very young for age. She's 76 and she looks like, I don't know, 60. So part of me thinks it's just genetic. You, you started off the conversation mentioning an affair. You casually dropped in about an LSD journey. I'm like, I, I'm going to stick, you know, to the topic because I want listeners to hear you talk about this, but I'm like, there's so many yeah, places there's a I want to go. 
that are, that have nothing to do with hormones and weight loss. But we'll stick to, we'll stick to that. Um, your mm-hmm. Instagram bio says mindset, muscle, and metabolism. So I would love to know, you know, real high view, like why are those the three call outs? Why are those the three tenets of what you do? All right. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny, right? I started out as a personal trainer for 25 years. And so that's where the muscle component comes from. It's like, I'm very much into fitness and honestly, be honest with you, my company that we were just talking about, that's mainly how I've made my money throughout my career. It's even when I started as a, a, as a physician, I still was doing personal training. So that's the muscle component. The mindset component is I am a psychology geek and a philosophy geek, and I am getting my PhD now in psychology. Everyone thinks I'm crazy for going back to school and getting a PhD, but I'm also one of these people that's like, I know I've done all the research sort of out of the box, but I want to know the box as well. So to me, I'm one of these people that just, I'm, I know that there's all the stuff I know I don't know. So I want the education. So that's where the mindset stuff comes in. I'm very much into, um, you know, the philosophy and psychology. And as a matter of fact, I actually think that is the most powerful thing in medicine to me, Aaron, is the placebo effect. We still don't know what that actually is, but it's the belief effect. We don't know exactly how it works, but to me, it is the most powerful thing that we have in medicine. In fact, I have a theory that pretty much everything that we all, most of the benefits that we gain from our lifestyle comes from the belief that the lifestyle is doing uh, positive things for us. There's a lot that comes from that. And of course, the metabolism piece is the part that, you know, you and I both do, which is that idea that ultimately uh, I have been involved with functional medicine and uh, primarily weight loss and endocrine, uh, you know, sort of issues, primarily in women. And so these are the three areas that I feel like are uh, constantly, people are constantly asking me about that I study. And I'm one of these people, you know, some people go breadth. They know a lot about, a li- uh, you know, a lot about a lot of things or a little bit about a lot of things. For me, I'm one of these people that doesn't know a whole bunch about much else other than these three very deep holes. So I don't pay much attention to politics. I definitely don't pay much attention to sports. I just eat, live, breathe, psychology, philosophy, training, and metabolism. And how would you define metabolism? Well, to me, I would say that it's all the ways in which our body assesses stress in the environment and adapts to it. And so I know people would say, oh, well, metabolism is really like how the body, you you know, takes in and utilizes fuel. I look at it as uh, all of the processes of adjusting uh, to our environment and getting back to balance. To me, metabolism is really a stress management tool. If you want to understand it, uh, the best way that I have uh, that I talk about it is almost like a stress barometer, like a thermostat that is measuring stress in the outside environment taking in all those signals, also looking inside the internal environment and deciding what the body needs and then plotting a course back to balance. If you can imagine a satellite with one dish facing out into the environment outside and another dish facing into your body and then integrating those signals in the hypothalamus to bring us back to balance, to me, this is what the metabolism does. Yes, it's fuel management, but to me, it's so much more than that. It's the nervous system. It's the hormone system. It's the immune system. It's, it's the way the muscle talks to the fat cells and the way the fat cells talk to the brain. And what we now know is this just this big, huge communications hub all linked together, all sort of being uh, analyzed and scrutinized in the brain and then allowing us to adjust to environmental uh, conditions. And so 
metabolism to me is uh, what drives everything about our physiology. And how would you know if, if, if it's a communication system, what are the messages that might be coming in? Because I don't think everyone's always super uh, aware mm-hmm. of the messages like coming from inside the house, so to speak. So yeah. what would be some signs that like, hey, something's off here? Yeah, I love that you asked this question, because to me, this is the thing that we should be talking about in our industry, right? It's like ultimately what we tend to do with people is we say, hey, follow this diet or uh, and, and it usually turns into and what I think a lot of people, a lot of your listeners may not know, but you and I know that practitioners are not immune to the novel novelty bias either. Right. So they get excited about all these new things that come about. But what we really should be doing is we really should be teaching people how to read the signals from their own metabolism. So the metabolism is speaking to you all the time. Only thing is, it doesn't speak English or French or Spanish. It speaks metabolism and we need to know that language. So what is that language? Well, that language is a language of biofeedback. So when your sleep is fragmented and difficult, that is biofeedback. When your hunger is insatiable and out of control, that's biofeedback. When your energy is unpredictable and unstable, biofeedback. When your cravings are unrelenting, biofeedback. So I use a funny little acronym that I'm famous for called SHMEC, which is S-H-M-E-C, and it stands for sleep, hunger, mood, energy, and cravings. This is biofeedback. So when your, quote, SHMEC is in check, your metabolism is probably not under stress. But when sleep, hunger, mood, energy, and cravings go out of check or are no longer under your control, it's a signal that your metabolism is under stress. And, and by the way, it's not just hunger, energy, and cravings and sleep and mood. It's exercise performance and exercise recovery. It's digestive function. It's a huge one. Uh, it's menses and libido and erections. It's signs and symptoms like headaches and joint pains and things like that. This is the way the metabolism is talking to us. And what we do is we tend to not look at it that way. Your, your body is sending you signals so that you pay attention. In the same way, when you sprain your ankle, your body goes, hey, pay attention, stay off of that. You know, you're going to have to do something about it, get crutches, you know, do some rehab, all that kind of stuff. Your metabolism is doing the same thing. So we don't always understand that these signals are meant to tell us something. That's the reason we feel them in the first place. Same thing goes for the, the psychology and our psyche, you know, so I have an acronym for that too. It's afraid. Whenever you Uh, feel yourself stuck in certain emotions like the AFRAID acronym, which stands for anger and frustration and resistance and anxiety and insecurity and depression. That means psychologically you're stuck in some way and we're meant to pay attention to that stuff, not avoid it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think there's a natural human tendency to want to move away from pain and avoid pain. And I think we have a lot of ways that we can do that. I think busyness is one of those things. You know, everybody is so busy all of the time. And I'm like, how much of that busyness is a choice? I mean, I'm, th- I'm throwing myself into the ring here, especially with mm. work. You know, workaholism is like the addiction that's most praised. Like people are like, you're killing it. You're doing great. I'm like, I'm fucking drowning here, you know? Yep, yep. But it's like pat on the back, keep it up. But it's just, it it can be an avoidant, uh, a way to avoid the, the pain and the discomfort of like sitting with our stuff.
This one is for my low-carb Barbies. If you're struggling with headaches, muscle cramps, or fatigue on a low-carb diet, you are probably low in electrolytes. This is for two reasons. One is that whole foods, keto, or low-carb diets are low in sodium. When you cut out packaged foods, you basically cut out your main dietary sources of sodium. Also, you excrete more sodium in a carb-restricted state. But the good news is that replenishing electrolytes can really rectify symptoms pretty darn quickly. Element is my personal electrolyte of choice. It's super yummy, has everything you need and nothing you don't. The reality is every single person needs electrolytes, but if you're active or you're on a low-carb diet, you really extra need electrolytes to feel and perform your best. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets for free with an Element order. It's a great way to try all the flavors, or you could share them with a friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com forward slash funk. That is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash F-U-N-K. Element offers a no questions asked refund so you can try it risk-free. Get ready to conquer your to-do list with Ned's Brain Blend. You know I love me some brain help. This powerful USDA Certified organic tincture blends equal parts CBD and CBG with brain-boosting botanicals and medicinal mushrooms, providing functional support for improved clarity, focus, and mental performance now and further down the road. Ingredients include MCT oil, full-spectrum hemp, ginkgo, goju cola, bacopa, Siberian ginseng, lion's mane, and lemon. Become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned's products with code Funk. Go to helloned.com forward slash funk or enter code funk at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Um, and I'm so glad that you bring up the mood and the piece, especially the anxiety, because we're so quick to want to um, pathologize any swings in mood when more often than not, it's really just our body or our higher self, whatever you believe in, is it's trying to communicate to us that something's off, something's out of balance, something needs to be looked at. I just went through something. I was so in such a season of overwork that I was like, I'm going to take a sabbatical. Never have I ever pulled this move, but it was bad. I'm like, I need a full month off. And that month happened. It was going to be in July. And it was like, as like, it was like the first day of my sabbatical. And all of a sudden I'm like, what is happening? Like I had this major massive health flare up and it was like, Oh yeah. shit. You know, yeah. I created space in my life and now my body is like, okay, we're going to tell you what's up. And I had to really, really, really sit with that. And instead of spending the month like drinking margs on the lake, I was like, we're going to sit with what's coming up. Um, and it was a wild time, but you know, it, this stuff is, is so, so important. And if we give ourselves this, if we keep trying to escape and run away from the pain and the discomfort, our bodies are pretty fucking good at telling us what we need to know about our life. 
Yeah, you want to know what's interesting about that. It's uh, If you look at this, a lot of people aren't able to tie this together. But, you know, one of the first classes I had at naturopathic medical school, which at the time I thought was a bogus concept because I came in as a biochemist, was very heavily science oriented. And they talked about this idea of the healing crisis. And, and what that essentially was is that when people started to get better, they would start getting better for a time and then they would have this uh, this flare up, this this sickness. And then if they made it through that, they sort of went on their their healing way. And I was I was just baffled by that and did not really give much credibility to it at all until uh, all the years later now, you know, what is it, 20, 20 plus years that I've been doing naturopathic medicine. I, I graduated back in 2003, you know, so <clears throat> I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's the truth. And now we actually have the science uh, to kind of look at this. If anyone who's familiar with polyvagal theory, uh, this is how the vagus nerve and the balance between parasympathetic and serotonin. Uh, sympathetic arms of the nervous system. It's especially true for anyone who's undergone adverse child events or any kind of adverse event when they're young. What happens is we have essentially switches, you know, for a lack of a better term, in terms of our threat response, our striving response, and our rest and recovery response. And they really are kind of like switches in a sense. Like in other words, when your threat switch is on, your rest and recovery switch is off. And so when you look at this, there's sort of uh, three ways we can go. We can be in threat mode, which is would be like, well, if we're out on the plains of Africa and we see a lion, we're going to be in threat mode. We're going to be running. We're going to be fighting. We're going to be doing something right now. Once we get safe and the lion's gone, if we're still out on the plains of Africa, we might not see the lion. So we're we, we're safe in a sense, but we don't feel completely safe because we still have to be hyper vigilant to look for that lion. Right. And that's the striving response that a lot of people get in this hypervigilance striving response where they're looking for danger. And whenever you're in threat or striving response, you cannot be in rest and recovery response. And so what happens is people might feel like they've gotten safety, but they don't have safeness. And there's a difference when you start looking at this research. Safety means, OK, the lion's gone. Safeness means I'm no longer on the plains of Africa. I'm in a house. A lion can't get me, period. I don't even need to look out for it anymore. And most of us can't get to safeness. And so what we do is we move out of threat into striving and then back from striving into threat and then threat, striving, striving, threat. And we never get to rest and recovery. And that is what happens when you go, OK, I'm going to take you know July to myself. Right. And you're finally in safeness mode. And your body goes, okay, I don't need to be down-regulating my immune system. I can provide resources to other places. I, I can do other things. And by the way, that's exactly what happens. A lot of people don't know this. When you're striving, cortisol is elevated. Cortisol is an immune suppressant. So when you stop striving, you go into rest and recovery mode, one of the first things that happens is cortisol drops, which then allows your immune system to sort of express itself. And that's why we oftentimes will get sick after a hard bout of work or a very stressful time. You don't get sick during it. You get sick after it. And what that's a sign for all of us, this is again, biofeedback. What's that's a sign is to say, okay, if that's happening to me, that means I'm stuck in threat and or striving mode too often. And by the way, that's also saying you're aging faster. You're, you're having some, some issues. You're, you're going to be in a position where you're using resources. It's really a resource-oriented thing, right? If you're, if you're driving the car fast, you're using fuel. If you're idling the car like crazy and not moving, you're using fuel. You need to park the car, fill up the tank, leave it in the garage for a while, change out the spark plugs, get the tires rotated, all of those things. And if you never do that to your body, then what happens is you start to uh, sort of reap the negative 
consequences. And it is telling us this all of the time. The way it will pop up, by the way, and I'd be interested if this was happening to you, is that you'll start seeing it with sleep and mood first. But sleep starts to become this sort of fragmented affair. It's like I'm sleeping, but I kind of feel awake, right? And I, and I wake at odd times of the night and I don't feel like I'm getting uh, completely rested. This is one of the first things you'll see. Uh, and it makes sense physiologically, right? Because if you're waiting for the line to show back up, you're not going to be in, in deep sleep. You're going to kind of be in a very light, fragmented type of sleep. So that is what I believe is going on there. And we do have some science ex- explaining this, even though there's some controversy around polyvagal theory and some people say it's not necessarily complete the way we think about it, but it does certainly make sense. And we have some clinical experience, uh, certainly I do, that this is exactly what's going on with people. I, I First of all, there's controversy about everything. And I just want to, <laughs> before I get it, continue on with this conversation, because you just dropped some bars, but this is like, we... You know, in the age of YouTube, social media, internet, there are, everything is so dichotomous. And I, I just feel so badly for people who are like, I just want to get healthy. Like, what do I do? It's this mm-hmm. or that. It's pick your lane. And I'm thinking about there was this reel that you share. <laughs> There's this reel yeah. that you shared. Somebody took one of your your videos and like kind of shit talked your approach. Oh, and then yes, you reshared yeah. it, which is like, Chef's kiss, perfection. I love that. I'm just like, I'm just going to call attention to this. I'm not going to hide. But the general gist, you were talking about hormone imbalance and this guy was like, hormone balance is a made up thing. Just go get tested and go to an endocrinologist and they can help you. And I know everybody listening is like, hey, that's not very helpful. Like we've been there. We've done that. It doesn't work, right? We don't get the help. And he also went on to say that hormone imbalance isn't real. It's just an excuse that people use to not work out and to not diet, which is just lacks such compassion. It's, mm. you know, lacks, lacks so much understanding. And I mean, when have you ever seen good, positive, sustainable change come through like, you know, shame tactics? It just mm. doesn't happen. Um, but I, I think that we don't have to throw out one whole paradigm in order to build another one. I don't think it has to be this or that. You were saying like, I think outside the box, but I also want to learn about the box itself mm. too. And I think there are just so many people that are out there screaming about misinformation and it's not misinformation or misappropriation of the science just because it misaligns with your beliefs. We have to be open. We have to be like all the controversy about everything is actually doing us a lot of disservice. I think like as humans who are trying to like live a healthy life, it's overwhelming enough. So just to like shout, you're doing it wrong from like every side of the internet. I'm just, just tired of that. I'm really, really tired of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Same. And, and, and what I'll say here, and this goes to the psychology philosophy background, one of the sicknesses of the human brain in my mind is binary uh, and dichotomous and um, biased thinking. Uh, and what I mean by that is that we're programmed to find differences. Right. And so and we're also programmed to think that our side of the equation is the better side of the equation. And so wisdom comes from, and all the wisest people that have been around on the planet, wisdom comes from taking the other position. And this is ancient philosophy. This is Taoism, essentially. Most people, when they look at the yin and yang symbol, they see a white fish eating the tail of a black fish and a black fish eating the tail of the white fish. And they just see that direction. What they don't understand is that the black fish was able to consume the white fish. The black fish itself kills itself. It disappears because now it's just all black. 
So we need these two opposing points of view to actually understand what's going on. The problem is we see them as opposing points of view instead of synergistic points of view. In other words, you can't understand uh, you know, day without night. And we also understand that it just doesn't become nighttime. It, it, there's dusk and then there's dawn. And in that dusk dawn state, in that gray zone is where the truth lies. We've seen this with COVID. To me, you know, this the, with the pandemic, to me, what happened was two sides saying, you're, I'm right, you're wrong. And the other side saying, no, I'm right, you're wrong. And to me, I'm going both sides have some things that are right and some things that are wrong. And very few people, there were some, but there were very few people who could uh, avoid the binary black and white thinking and were taking the best from both worlds, saying things like, okay, look, perhaps we need vaccines, but we should also be able to, to question the efficacy of these things and test whether they're effective or not and be a little bit careful and asking the tough questions about, you know, should we be doing lockdowns and for how long? Now, of course, we were in a time where we had incredible uncertainty about this. And so it makes sense. We're a little bit confused. However, to, from my perspective, you can see very quickly people in medicine uh, setting up these camps. I just simply don't like to do that. That's the whole point of functional medicine. It's why you and I do what we do, because uh, knowing you from following you, you're a very gray thinker. You think in the middle. So do I. I would say we're rare, Aaron, you and me in that regard. Uh, functional medicine really is that gray zone. It's basically saying, you know, it's very simple to us, but it seems not simple to other people. You don't go from being completely healthy to sick, right? There's a dusk and a dawn phase <laughs> where you're moving into sickness. And that is where you should be catching people. That's what Aaron and I do. We work in this gray zone because long before you become uh, diseased, you develop dysfunction. And we want to correct that dysfunction, which is why we practice functional medicine and functional nutrition. And ultimately, anyone who's thinking in black and whites, I think, is doing their patients a disservice, their clients a disservice, and themselves a disservice as a lay person trying to get help. Setting up camps does no one any favors. You should be looking at all different aspects of things. I'll tell you one of the things I do to avoid this just politically uh, speaking. If you looked at my uh, Facebook feed, you would think Jade was a, a right wing nut job. If you looked at my, you know, sort of Twitter feed, you might go, Jade is a liberal nut job. I specifically set myself up so that I get opposing views from different places. And we have to do that uh, because if we don't, we'll just get fed back to ourselves what we think we know. And this particular person who called me out, these call out cultures on uh, online, you know, it, it's fine. It's part of the culture. I think what's, what's missed there is uh, people who are buying into this kind of thing. What they're not seeing is that bias of this type and dogma of that type blinds you to other things that could potentially work. So while I understand it, and I do think there's a time and a place uh, to call out people who perhaps aren't as qualified and things like that, I think it's usually a very bad look. And, and when we're just talking about ourselves and getting ourselves help, it's almost always going to be in the gray zone. So for me, I, I, I tend to look for people like yourself who are very balanced, who can see both sides and are walking that line versus individuals who are extreme. And you'll see it if, if we have another you know, uh, pandemic or anything like that. 
you'll continue to see it. It seems like it's getting worse. And, and the final thing I'll say here, because it's obviously you can tell I'm passionate about it, is it's up to all of us, right, who are listening and in, in this conversation right now, all of us listening to this show, me and Aaron and all of you listening, it's up to us to be the experience and the example. People start to uh, adjust their thinking when their peers adjust their thinking. We are an experience for the world and we are an example for the world. And so when we start showing up in a balanced, non-binary, non-biased way, the people around us will start doing that as well. And so I think that's what we need to be doing with metabolism. We need to be doing that with politics. We need to be doing that in all areas. I actually say, think that's the way that the culture is evolving. Yeah. And it, you know, when I, I love to learn and I love to learn from other people. And um, when I'm seeking out, like, who do I want to learn from? It's always the people that have a lot of experience. So maybe not like, you know, like the loudest voice in the room or like the biggest Instagram account, but maybe they've been doing this work for a really long time. They have a lot of practice with like actual human bodies, hundreds, if not thousands. And they listen to people's lived experiences and they use that. So maybe not every single thing they say has a white paper to back it up, but they listen to actual stories from people and they believe them and they use that to kind of guide their philosophy and their beliefs. And I think that that's sometimes missing. Yeah, um, it's, part, it's part art and part science, right? It's like bottom yeah. line is it's always part art and part science. And for you listening, if you're kind of like, well, what's the art part? The art part is what Aaron and I were talking about. It's listening to the biofeedback signals. That's the art part. And then the science part is certainly understanding uh, the research. And then from my perspective, you have to understand research is a tool for averages, not individuals. And so then what you do is you use the research to refine your approach. You try it on. Hey, maybe I'll try keto. Maybe I'll try fasting. Maybe I'll try this. Maybe I'll try that supplement. And then you see what's my metabolism think. I might like it psychologically, but does my metabolism like it physiologically? It's going to tell me. And that's the way we do this. And that's the way that you adjust. And when you work with usually a functional practitioner, that's what you're going to get. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah, that, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I don't think we have time. Um, I want to go back to the, you know, to the lion discussion when you were talking mm. about safety and versus safeness. And I, I've never heard it put that way. And I'm thinking a lot about that, but can we, can we take this conversation into, um, dieting for weight loss? At what mm. point does that trigger potential lack of safety? I mean, I, we've all heard kind of like move more, eat less, and that's mm -hmm. the recipe for weight loss, which can absolutely be true and appropriate in some, some situations. But I think about the you know underslept, overstressed, under-resourced average person, and maybe going on a you know 1,300-calorie diet and going to CrossFit or Orange mm -hmm. Theory six days a week, it's probably not going to end well for that person. Yeah. So I think it's this idea is, is oversimplified, but it's still kind of like where we land when we're not really sure what to do. I want to lose weight. I want to get fit. I'm just going to default to this. You know, I'm just going to move my body more and eat less. And you had put a post recently, I like what you said, it was mind the calorie gap. And mm. you were talking about the gap between caloric intake and caloric output is a major metabolic stressor, which is not dissimilar to things that I've talked about on the show before, but can you speak into that a little bit more, particularly for the, the woman who is um, looking to lose weight or get yeah. fit? Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I'll, I'll, I'll drive this on with a story from a near-death experience I had. It will explain what happened. I was out in, uh, I was driving across country and I decided to go for a hike in the Grand Canyon. I'd never been before. And I was by myself. And the day before doing that. I fasted all day, drank a ton of water. 
And I, I had never understood what the Grand Canyon was. Middle of the summer, this is about five years ago. And I start going on this hike. Well, they basically had to pull me off that mountain just about. I barely made it out of there because I became hyponatremic. I would, had no water. I was losing so much salt. It was so hot out there, right? Now, you might say, well, what's this have to do with Aaron's question? Well, it has to do with the fact that you don't go on a hike in 112 degree weather in the Grand Canyon without being prepared. That was basically like me saying, I'm going to go on a diet and lose weight without preparing my metabolism for that stress. Right. So that's what most people do. They're like, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to go on a diet. And their metabolism is not conditioned to be under that kind of stress. When you go from a couch potato to a crossfitting paleo person overnight, that is just uh, subbing one stress for another stress. That's what I did. No one in their right mind would do what I did. It's like a no duh moment. You're just like thinking to yourself, Jade, what the hell did you do that for? No one would try to drive across country and go, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to pack anything. I'm not going to fill up my car and I'm just going to drive. No one would try to enter their car into a racing competition without getting the tires changed and all that kind of stuff. But that's what we do in a very silly way when we want to go on diets and try to lose weight. We just go, I'm just going to change my eating right away. Well, that is a stress for the physiology. This is what people don't understand. Whether you're eating more and exercising less, the couch potato, or whether you're exercising more and eating less, the dieter, isn't it interesting that both of their schmeck, their biofeedback, don't they both have issues with hunger, energy, and cravings? The chronic dieter has issues with hunger, energy, and cravings. The chronic couch potato has issues with hunger, energy, and cravings. Why? Because both states are stressing out their physiology. We even see this in science. We've actually seen that abrupt keto diets they can be beneficial over the long run, but in the first few days, they make you more insulin resistant. Uh, going from a very high calorie diet to a very low calorie fasting state in the short term can make you more insulin resistant. Why? Because glucocorticoids go up. Cortisol goes up. That's another way to become insulin resistant. People don't know this. And in the real world, what happens before you even clear that initial stress? People... They get one day and then they get, oh, I, I'm, my cravings are so bad, I'm just going to binge and I'll try to fast the next day. And that is a very stressful situation for the body. So the gap between calorie intake and output, eating more and exercising less or eating less and exercising more is a stress to the physiology. We don't realize there's other ways to do this. You can eat less and exercise less, which narrows that calorie gap a little bit, right? You can eat more and exercise more, which narrows that calorie gap a little bit. Eat less, exercise less. That's what the hunter-gatherers do. That's what the old Parisian lifestyle was. Lots of walking, not a lot of heavy uh, exercise, but lots of walking and very little calories. I mean, even the last time I was in Paris two years ago, you still see people eating their croissants and their baguettes and you know all the foods that we're told not to eat here in the United States. And yet these people are walking up there you know, four story flats and they're still walking a lot to, to and from, and they tend to remain fairly lean. Of course, that's changing in Europe now, but the hunter gatherers are like that too. They would walk, you know, anywhere from 8,000, 12,000 steps a day. Not that much. Most of us could do that. And they're not eating huge amounts of calories because they simply can't get them. Usually most of them are consuming below 2000 calories per day. When we study these people, that's an eat less, exercise less lifestyle. And then of course there's the eat more, exercise more lifestyle, which is the lifestyle of an athlete. No athlete in her right mind or his right mind is going to cut calories. They do not do that. If they want to perform well at their sport, they exercise and they eat enough to fuel that exercise. These two metabolic toggles are the ones we need to play in rather than the couch potato and the dieter toggle. 
because they're less stressful on the system. So if you're someone who loves exercise, then eat just enough to fuel that exercise. If you're someone who doesn't like exercise, fine, you're going to have to cut your calories down via food. And we all have to move. You know, people say, oh, we're built to run. No, we're not. We're built to walk. We are walkers. We are not sitters. We should be up and moving around as much as possible. And when you do things this way, it changes things. And the other thing I'll say that you alluded to, Aaron, is that when you when your goal is weight loss, right, uh, psychologically speaking, that is the wrong goal. And the reason why it's the wrong goal, it's very similar to, you know, when we were teenagers and you had a crush on somebody and you were crushing after them like crazy. And they were just like, this person's so needy and they just run away from you. And it wouldn't matter how hard that you'd want to get their attention. They'd be like, ugh, and stiff arm you. But as soon as you were like, I'm not interested in you, then all of a sudden they were interested in you. It's sort of like that with weight loss. The more needy you are, the more clingy you are. Let me try to lose weight. The more it will seem to elude you because you don't realize you're putting yourself under psychological stress. So if you just switch the goal a little bit and just go, you know what? I want to feel better, right? I want to feel better. I want to understand my body. I want to, I want to see this as a process. You know, you arrive when arrival is no longer the goal, so to speak. And so what happens is you just essentially say, I'm going to treat this as a process. I'm going to go one at a time. I'm going to start with, I'm just going to stop eating junk food and walk more. That's step one. And, you know, and that's the goal. Let me just get 8,000, 10,000 steps a day. I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm just trying to get my steps up. And let me just not eat food that is packaged and junk food. We all know what junk food is. So you just stop eating junk food and you start, you know, walking. And that's your goal. Those two things are your goal. Weight loss should never be the thing driving it because weight loss is an amorphous thing anyway. Sometimes it scales up, sometimes it scales down. Sometimes you look in the mirror and you, you, you look fat as hell to yourself regardless. You could be down on the scale and you just don't feel good or look good in your body. You know, and so from my perspective, you want to begin to readjust and rejigger this idea that I got to look good. And by the way, you know, I'm middle aged now. So one of the things that happens is vanity concerns are only motivated to a 20, 30 year old. You know, if that all of a sudden, as you age, vanity concerns become less and less and less uh, and vanity concerns are fleeting. So, you know, they're not going to hold you to that point where you're like, I got to keep living this lifestyle. Right. Whereas purpose pursuits are forever. And so the idea is then, OK, well, how do I want to look, function, feel so that I can do what I do. I don't know about you, Aaron, but we both teach the same thing. I see myself, my purpose as a teacher, and I try to attach the way I look, function, and feel my health to my ability to perform this, to keep my brain sharp, to uh, have the energy to do what I need to do, to have the energy to go through the stress that I'm going through now. That becomes a more sustainable reason for me doing what I'm doing. No one at the end of my life is going to be like, Jade had such a great six pack. You know, wasn't he awesome with his six pack or no one at the end of my life is going to be like, Jade has so much money in his bank account. What they're going to do is they're going to say, you know, he was an incredible, you know, teacher, incredibly kind. He, he was there for me. He, you know, uh, made time. He was generous. Those are the things they're going to say about me. But more importantly, those are the things I'm going to appreciate about myself. And when we start focusing on that stuff and being healthy and fit, so that we can be more of that, I think it changes uh, the conversation. I know that's a little bit woo-woo for some people, but I'm telling you, those are the people that I see be successful. When they come in and they go, I want to stay healthy and fit for my grandkids. I want to be able to perform at a high level in my work because I, I feel like my brain fog is there. And if those are the people who make the biggest difference. When someone comes in and goes, I want to look good you know, for the, my high school reunion, 
I'm like, good luck. You may or may not look good on the day of your high school reunion, but I can guarantee with that goal, you're not going to look very good a couple months after for most people. Yeah. I mean, I'm 39, so I will say still vain, still vain. Um, <laughs> however, my goals have definitely like shifted into more, um, immune health. Like I just want to feel good, you know, mm-hmm. and brain because my brain's my moneymaker, you know, yep. like it's important. It's kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally agree with that. All right. You have all asked me for an official update. I've been using Keon Aminos for every single day for months now. And so I've gotten enough DMs to know that I got to address it here. I will say what I've seen for myself, definitely enhanced muscle growth. I mean, you wouldn't look at me and be like, whoa, she swole, but I can tell. And I'm putting up heavier weights a lot easier and I don't get sore. So I'm like more likely to, I'm lifting more because I don't have like have that muscle fatigue or just like that soreness. So strong recommend. This is why Keon Aminos really is my fundamental supplement for fitness. You can naturally boost energy, build lean muscle, enhance athletic recovery. It's backed by over 20 years of clinical research, highest quality ingredients, no fillers, no junk. It undergoes rigorous quality testing and it tastes amazing. My personal faves are the mango and the lime. If you're looking for flavors to try, you can save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% off one-time purchases. Go to get Keon.com forward slash funk. That's G E T K I O N.com slash F U N K to get my fundamental supplement for fitness, Keon Aminos. I want to introduce you to a new to me product called Qualia Senolytic. It's something that I've been experimenting with as I round the bend on 40 for more of an insurance policy than anything else. I feel good and I want to stay feeling good. As you age, you accumulate these things called senescent cells. We talked about this a lot in episode 280, The Science of Aging. Senescent cells actually cause the symptoms of aging, aches and pains, slow workout recoveries, low energy. So Qualia Senolytic actually removes these worn out senescent cells. And the cool thing is you only have to take it two days a month. So if you want to support aging at the cellular level, try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com forward slash F-U-N-K-S for up to $100 off and use code FUNKS, F-U-N-K-S, at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com forward slash FUNKS for an extra 15% off your purchase. I want to talk a little bit about exercise because, you know, you're a fitness freak. You can talk Mm. to this. And I would like partially credit you for my shift a few years ago um, toward walking and weightlifting as my two primary forms of exercise. I Mm. walk a lot. It's my favorite. And I do um, like to to lift. But my goal moving into that was overall health and feeling good in my body. I will say that. And that was Mm. my that was the way that I chose to do it. But what I thought was really interesting, because I don't, I don't have a scale. I, don't, I haven't weighed myself and like, I don't just, just don't weigh myself, but I had to go to the doctors a couple of uh, months ago because I had the flu. Um, it's part of my July crisis. <laughs> and and I, they had me get on a scale and I was really kind of interested to see that I was significantly under what I consider to be my um, my like sort of weight set point. Like I'm, I'm usually hovering around like 150. It's just like where my body goes kind of despite what I do. And I was below that. And I'm like, huh, I've just been like walking and lifting weights for two years. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, so I, I think that, but that was not, not my primary goal was like, I was like not intentionally trying to lose weight. I just wanted Mm -hmm. to feel good. So I think it it can be a both. And, um, what do you, what would you say is, 
for somebody that's looking to, maybe we can speak to two different cohorts or maybe it's all the same. If somebody just wants to feel good in their body, what's the the best approach from an exercise standpoint? And if somebody wants to lose weight, what's the best approach, or best approach from an exercise standpoint? Yeah, in my opinion, it's both. And there is going to be some uh, some question here. You should always do a little bit of what you love, but what you love is not always what works. So I'll, I'll give you... Um, if you had told me I was going to be a walking proponent, you know, 10 years ago, actually 10 years ago, I was, but like 20 years ago, I would have been out of laugh and said, Aaron, get out of here. There's no way walking. What does that do? But it really just comes from understanding the physiology and working with clients. So to me, walking, yes, because it's the only activity, really one of the only ones that simultaneously uh, sensitizes the body to insulin, lowers cortisol levels. Pretty much everything else will raise cortisol as an activity. Not necessarily bad when you're doing exercise, by the way, but walking, and it can be done a very long period of time, and it doesn't seem to have the negative consequences of, of raising hunger for most people, unless you're you know, a professional hiker or something like that. So, and, and, and for most people, it's not compatible with eating. So most people aren't going to be walking down a greenway eating a Big Mac, basically. So it has multiple, and yes, it burns some calories. Uh, so from my perspective, that's the number one thing. It's sort of like the, the uh, lifestyle adaptogen, you know, that everyone should be doing walking. Then you go, okay, so got my walking down. To me, that comes first. Become a mover instead of a sitter. That's the first move that everyone should make. And it might be the only move you need to make. Go tell the Parisians that they got to do metabolic conditioning workouts, you know, the, and, and the hunter-gatherers, they might laugh at you. And, and they're way leaner than most people, uh, you know, in the United States. So uh, the next thing is then, okay, well, that I got walking down. What do I do next? Should I run? Should I do a bunch of cardio? Unfortunately, most people think that if they don't get breathless, they didn't get a good workout. Now, there's nothing wrong with cardio, except for the fact that when you look at research and, and the biggest study I like to tell people about, because it was done in perimenopausal women, uh, women between the ages of 35 and 65, which is most of the people you're going to see if you're a clinician, that's, that's the age range you're going to see. And those are the people you're going to see. And this was in the alpha and beta trials out of Canada. So they were basically looking and they, they had, they had different cohorts. Group one did 60 minutes, five days per week running on a treadmill. That's a lot right? An hour a day for five days per week running on a treadmill. Another group, 45 minutes running on a treadmill five days per week. Third group, 30 minutes, five days per week running on a treadmill. They basically were told, don't make any conscious changes with your diet. So most people would say, well, everyone lost weight. They didn't change their diet, right? So they must have lost weight. 25% did lose weight. Uh, the other 75% uh, didn't. 50% of those stayed the same, lost a little, gained a little, basically was in, were in the same range. And 25% gained weight. Why? And part of it was because they overcompensated with food unconsciously mm -hmm. because they were hungry and hungry and having cravings. So the reason I go through that is because there's going to be about 25% of you listening to this based on that study, roughly, who can do cardio all day long and not get hungry and not overeat. You probably know who you are and you probably have a friend that you're like, oh yeah, she must be, or he must be that kind of person because they run like crazy and they do great. But that's only a quarter of people. Everyone else, all the rest of us probably need to do something that doesn't elevate hunger or if it does, tends to drive any extra calories we consume into muscle gain rather than fat gain. And the only exercise that is going to drive extra calories into muscle is resistance training. And resistance training seems to, now we need more studies for this, but it seems to have less of a hunger response than long duration cardio. 
Short duration workouts will have a, sh- a slight depression of hunger in the short run. You can even get nauseous in, in a sense from, from very short, intense stuff, but then it has a hunger increasing response. Very long, moderate duration or high intensity has a hunger and cr- craving response right away. But resistance training done between 20 minutes and maybe 60 minutes seems not to have that effect. Now, again, we need more robust studies to really tease this out. So Aaron and I can have a conversation several years from now and be like, was this right or wrong? So based on that, hunger doesn't increase or walking doesn't increase hunger. Resistance training doesn't seem to increase hunger. And if it does, at least walking is sensitizing the body to insulin. And resistance training has a very interesting impact on insulin resistance. Most people think insulin resistance comes from the whole body. No, your, your body has different components that can be more or less insulin resistant. So the liver can be sensitive or resistant. The muscle cells can be sensitive or resistant. The fat cells can be sensitive or resistant. What you want is a sensitive liver, a sensitive muscle, and an insensitive fat depot if you want to lose fat, right? And so resistance training is the, one of the only ones that makes the liver, due to these muscle myokines that are released, from muscle when you move and you release signaling molecules that go to the liver and say handle insulin better and they also help the muscle handle insulin better and so not only are you using extra calories to gain lean muscle mass but you're resensitizing both the muscle component and the, the liver component to insulin and so these two components for those reasons i just mentioned walking and resistance training are going to be the things that work the best for most people I'll just say this, and I'm sorry I'm rambling on, but to me, we have it wrong with resistance training. The most important people that should be resistance training are women in menopause or past the menopausal transition. And for some reason, resistance training has been seen as a young man's thing. The the person who's going to get the most benefit is actually going to be a perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal woman to maintain their muscle mass, to use some of uh, their... Uh, they tend to be low in estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, but they're oftentimes a little bit more relatively dominant in testosterone than they were in their younger years. And, and so to me, that's why these two forms of exercise, they help with hunger, they reduce stress, they deal with insulin resistance, and they don't have any of this compensatory mechanism. The final thing I'll say here is if you love uh, running, do it. It's very good for uh, depression. It's, it's the best form of exercise for mood enhancement, depression. Although resistance training is the best for self-esteem. Uh, they've actually used studies mm-hmm. in, um, in anorexics, you know, where they actually have them resistance train and they're far less likely to go back to be an anorexic. They like their bodies better. So resistance training is better for self-esteem. Cardio is better for uh, mood. So if you're someone who has mood issues, then you probably want to keep doing your cardio. Do enough to get the benefits not so much that it starts making you hungry. It's kind of the same thing with food. If you love wine and you love tiramisu like me, the Italian in me, then you can't say that you're never going to have those. You learn to have them enough, but not too much. And so that's what I would say on exercise. All right, I'll let you go. I've been talking to you forever. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. We talked about a lot. Um, I super appreciate you. I super appreciate your work. Can you tell everybody where to find more of you? Yeah, sure. You can find me at uh, jtita.com. That's uh, you know my website. You can also find me at nextlevelhuman.com. That is my podcast. And if you're interested in some of the philosophical, psychological stuff, Aaron and I discovered nextlevelhuman.com uh, is where to go. And then at jtita on all the social platforms. And Aaron, thank you for your work. I was really touched to get an invite from you because I love your work and I appreciate you so much. Awesome. I appreciate you too. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.